If you've ever had to check more than one box when it comes to your identity, then you know that any inquiry about your ethnic background requires a follow-up question. I'm Steph Stock, and each week my guests and I have conversations in color as we explore the gray areas of identity in an America that is mixed up about its race relations. This is Mixed With What? As many of you know, I'm new to this podcasting thing. This is my first attempt, and I'm putting one foot in front of the other and just figuring it out as I go. The best part of this experience has been the support I've received from this community and the people who are cheering me on, so thank you. But this episode is a testament to my learning curve. I was so excited to interview my next guest because she too has a podcast, and she's not new to this audio thing. I, on the other hand, was rushing to get home after being stuck in LA's rush hour traffic, and while my microphone was set up, it wasn't in fact plugged in. I know, I was devastated too, but it's all part of my process and best believe that I will never make this mistake again. I put this episode together because you have to hear this story. Kiera McKinney is a PR professional and self-proclaimed pop culture junkie. She's the host of not one, but two podcasts, The Spin Cycle, in which she airs out the Celeb Dirty Laundry and Easter Egg Hunt, a Taylor Swift podcast. Here's my thing about pop culture fans is I love talking to them because they have an intellectual way of looking at things that seems superficial. I used to be a snob about pop culture, or I would partake and then not tell anyone that I really watch it. My anxiety would make me think that my time was better spent watching serious TV or learning about real news. But as I get older and the pressures of adulting won't let up, I realize that pop culture is very much political and also necessary. And honestly, I've seen some of the smartest people I know break down the power dynamic of the Real Housewives in a way that social science majors at some of these top universities could never. Now, I'm assuming you're not listening to Mix With What for your pop culture updates, and that's great because, baby, I ain't got them. I'll refer you to Kiera's podcast, The Spin Cycle, to keep you up to date on what's happening in Hollywood and beyond. But today's episode is about the social scene that takes place in a university setting. We're talking about Greek life. Kiera identifies as biracial and is the first Black woman to pledge her sorority at the University of Alabama. I was a Delta Gamma and very proud of it. I was the first Black initiate in my chapter, but I was not the last. Being that it's homecoming season, I wanted to learn more about what it's like when you opt into a system that wasn't designed with you in mind. I have the quintessential, yes, exactly, what you think of when you think of the all-American college experience. That's exactly what I had. Yes, going to the University of Alabama is exactly what is kind of like depicted in Hollywood when people go off to college. What made you want to go to the University of Alabama? Honestly, it's a nerdy answer. It was for my major. I am in public relations and it's one of the top programs that for public school programs for PR. So I know it's really underrated. <laughs> like nobody really knows about it, but it has a really awesome program. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. I I, I knew that after watching Scandal, that's what made me choose <laughs> PR was Carrie Washington's character in Scandal. So I had two schools on my list and my mom was like, you need a third school. 
And so after doing some research, I put Alabama as my third school and then ended up choosing it. I love that so much. So my family's actually from Alabama and like so proud, like huge Alabama roll tide. Is that what they say? Roll tide? <laughs> yes. That's yes, what the girl okay. tide. Yeah. I'm like, that's what the kids say, right? They are huge Alabama fans. So I know they're gonna listen to this and be like, oh my gosh, so excited. But I never knew that about the University of Alabama. So do you go back for homecoming? I was on the homecoming exec committee my senior year and I loved it. Wait, what does that mean? What does one do on the exec committee? That sounds important. So I was on the community outreach team. So I was kind of responsible for getting people involved in the community like programs for homecoming because it's a really big deal in Southern schools. There's all of, it's a week long ordeal. So being on the like little committee and being specifically the community outreach director, I kind of like got other community or student programs more involved in homecoming. And I like rode in the parade and things like that. (laughs) That's incredible. Yeah, it was like one of the most fun experiences of my college career, for sure. And I got to connect with a lot of other people from other organizations, which was really fun. Going to a big school in the South, Mm -hmm. I think personally is like a completely different thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're from the South, right? Like you're from Texas. Yes. Well, and here's the thing. I thought... Going from Texas to Alabama was like a lateral move, is what I thought. Like Dallas and Tuscaloosa, where the University of Alabama is, same latitude. (laughs) You know, like it's literally a straight shot, but the culture is not at all the same. I thought it was going to be the same. It is so incredibly different. That is the deep South. That is the old South. Oh, how is it different? Texas is a little bit more like Southwestern. It's like, it's a little bit more cowboy, a little bit more country, a little bit more Arizona, a little bit more California mixed in in Texas. Whereas Alabama is more like Eastern, a little bit more coastal, a little bit more redneck, to be honest. It's like, we're more cowboy, they're more redneck. It's like the different kind of Southern. And I did not realize that when I chose to go to Alabama. (laughs) That being said, the racism is different. And so in Texas, it's all microaggressions. And so in Alabama, it's more overt. So you like know where you stand with people in Alabama off the bat. Whereas Texas, it's more like we don't see color kind of people. What was like your first indicator or like the first time that you realized like, oh, we're not in Texas anymore? It was honestly when I realized that the white people were nicer to me and therefore the black people were meaner to me because the white people were nicer to me. Do you know what I'm saying? They were like, you're closer to us. And they were constantly talking about my being biracial. It was like a constant topic of conversation. Is that not the case in Texas? No. It was very, like, not normal. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't necessarily normal or, like, seen a lot growing up in Texas, but it was never something that was brought up. And I was accepted by both sides an equal amount in Texas, whereas in Alabama it was like, 
Well, I guess I was more like rejected more by both sides in Alabama. (laughs) No, it, it was very, it was very strange because, okay. So the first indicator that I was like, this, this place is weird was an older guy in one of my classes asked me, are you black with white stripes or white with black stripes? He asked that question? In front of people in one of my classes. And I was like, I was so stunned by that. And I was like, nobody at home in Texas would ever ask me that question. Just the audacity of that. But again, I will say, it surprises me how he asked the question. I'm not surprised that that was a question in the South. What I am surprised that you're saying is that it's so different from Texas. And this is something that I'm just learning now because I think I lumped the whole South together. Like Exactly. It's just all one. Well, and even I did too, coming from Texas. I was thinking like, oh, it's it's all going to be the same. It's just going to be microaggressions. You know, we've all evolved wrong. Had you ever been to Alabama before you had even gone to school there? I mean, just to visit the school. Okay. You know, that's all. And I hadn't spent a ton of time there. So I, I had no idea the level of like ignorance and the segregation, straight up segregation. And that's why my existence triggered people, both black and white. And it's not the black people's fault, obviously, that I triggered them, but it triggered them because they looked at me and were like, the white people are nice to you. How do you find a sense of belonging when you I are didn't. in between two? At all while you were there? No. I just, and and the thing, and throughout my life, and here's the thing. I think it goes back to the fact that, like, I don't belong within my own family. I don't have a relationship with my father. So I was raised entirely by white people. Okay. My siblings are all white. So I am the literal black sheep of my own family. At what point did you have to learn about your Blackness and how did you go about learning Black culture then if it wasn't from your immediate family? So (laughs) my mom's one of those white girls who (laughs) all her friends are Black. (laughs) So I was always around Black people, (laughs) but I just didn't. It was hard for me to understand that I was Black for a a while because genetics didn't make sense to me, A, when I was little, because like, you know, my mom kept trying to explain it to me. It's not her fault, but it was around like seven or eight that my mom was like, what she kept saying, she was like, you know, Kira, so you're, you know, you're half black. And I would be like, what do you mean? (laughs) You know, like I thought I was so like literal about it thinking she meant like I'm half of me is black. And then she'd be like, no, like in your blood. And I'd be like, my blood is black. Like it just did not compute in my brain. And like, she didn't like to bring up my dad. Cause then I'd be like, well, where is he? So it was hard for her to be like, well, your dad is black. And I'd be like, who? And so it was this whole thing. And like not one picture exists of like me and my mom and my dad and it doesn't exist. (laughs) So there was like no reference. There was no anything. It took like a lot of talking to me and like a lot of questions. And like, I actually like still to this day, remember, I think I was six or seven and 
I remember this day where I was like sitting in the bathroom with my mom, just like asking questions over and over again, like just not understanding with my mom. And she was so patient with me, but I just like, didn't, I didn't get it. But I remember by the end of the conversation, it clicked, but I was just like, my world was like rocked because my, I was like, but you're all white. Why am I black? You know, like I just like couldn't get it, but like, and it never like bothered me. I, other than the fact that I was different from everybody else, but I just was like confused by it. But culturally my mom made an effort of like, you know, her best friend is black and like her mom, my mom's best friend's mom is best friends with my grandma. So our families are really close. And so her cousins are my age. And so they treated me like I was one of their cousins. And so we would all do things together. And so they included me with their family. And so they would treat me like I was one of them. And so that's kind of how I like, like they take me to concerts and they, you know, do things with me. And that's kind of how I was able to learn about black culture. So I have had to learn how to figure out my own identity, learn how to exist in the world entirely by myself anyway. And so I've also had to, had to learn how to put myself into places where I can just learn to just like put myself out there and see if people like me for me and be okay with not being able to assimilate to them. Like I just have to, and that's basically what I did with going to Alabama and joining a sorority. I knew I wasn't like them, but I knew that maybe they could like learn to like me anyway. What are the reasons why someone might be like, I want to join a sorority from the outside looking in to me, it looks like belonging is one of the reasons, but you're saying you didn't experience that. And maybe you didn't like expect that. So what is the reason that you wanted to join a sorority? And did you go to school being like, I'm going to join a sorority or did it just happen? So great questions. First of all, I actually went to school not wanting to rush. I did not rush. I did not go through formal recruitment at all. The only reason I rushed is actually very ironic and backwards The year that I was a freshman at the University of Alabama, there was a huge national scandal that was exposed where a few black girls went through recruitment and did not get into any houses, though they were fully qualified. And this whole like, but the girls who were on the recruiting side exposed it and were like, our advisors wouldn't let us take these girls So the actives, the college girls in the sorority were like whistleblowers and like went to the school newspaper and this basically all these students came forward and spoke about it. So then our school president essentially forced the sororities to reopen recruitment informally. So just like hosting parties for girls, all girls, not just women of color. So actives are the college girls that are present on campus. Active in the sorority, yeah. Okay. Advisors are the alumni who 
volunteer to advise the sorority and have like kind of ultimate say at the end of the day in how to they guide the chapter. Okay. They're kind of like the overlords, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> and then you have the people who are rushing and those are the people who like are applying to be in the sorority. Yes. Okay. So take me back. So there's discrimination. These active members are basically like the whistleblowers. Like we weren't allowed to even give these women a fair chance to join us. And then the university, there's all this backlash. The university then is like, you need to do what? They're like, you have to, yeah. They're like, you have to go through it again, but not formally. Instead of doing this whole, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Bama Rush talk stuff. Essentially, they're like, you have to host some parties. You have to host at least one party and invite any girls who want to attend. And then if there are any girls who are qualified, you must like offer them a bit. So my roommate and I had been on campus for about a month at this point and were failing at making friends. We were like completely failing at making friends. It was my best friend from high school. And we were just like, we were going to all the events. We were, you know, going, we were trying, but we just could not figure it out. (laughs) You know, we were going to the events, we were going to the parties, we were doing everything we could, but we, and so we like looked at each other and we were like, should we just try it? And honestly, I was like, I'll be able to sniff out if they just want the token black girl. What were the things that you were like, I know, I'll know? What Were you looking for anything or you just life experience? Just life experience. And like, for example, one sorority, they were like talking about like where they vacationed in the summer. And I was like, eh. <laughs> and then one sorority, one girl straight up told me like, yeah, my dad's racist. And I was like, goodbye. <laughs> like there were just a few like, immediate red flags that I was like, no thanks. But the sorority that I ended up choosing, they were fantastic. We talked about silly things, things that were just like, like memes on the internet and like, you know, things that were just young adolescent girl things. The president impressed me so much. She was also studying PR and she wanted to go into law and she like wanted to do like political campaigning and she was like obsessed with the Obamas and I was like she's so cool and I like still am obsessed with her honestly and they were also like newer on campus so they didn't have this like long terrible legacy (laughs) and their philanthropy was huge to me because my grandmother had just recently been diagnosed with macular degeneration which is an eye disease where you slowly lose your eyesight over time and their philanthropy was service for sight so just like kind of everything made sense and nobody made me feel weird you know and there were other races in the room there weren't other black girls you know per se but there were hispanic girls and there were asian girls and there were jewish girls and so i didn't feel like you know i was a brown girl in a sea of blondes i didn't feel like a black sheep i felt accepted okay so it was more diverse in diversity standards you know however they were in alabama yeah 
which is incredible because that was actually my next question is like we're speaking very much in terms of white and black but i'm just curious like were there other even sororities like latina sororities where was the divine nine present on campus yes so there were a couple other black sororities there was i believe zeta phi beta and aka but i think that was maybe it okay so were you ever interested in do you say pledge or rush both okay (laughs) it's like you rush and then you pledge pledging is what happens after you agree to be a part of it it's a whole thing i know there's so much there's so much lingo and when i was going into it i i wore everything wrong i said everything wrong i didn't know anything because in texas it wasn't as big of a thing as it was there so and again like i didn't even go into it thinking i was gonna do this at all so i was like everything i I was so wrong so like it's not like i was like this like you know miss sorority girl i was totally out of a fish out of water so it sounds like what drew you to this was looking for belonging like looking for more friends more friends yes but like i never was trying to i i was trying to fit in on campus Yes. I was like trying to, I, ironically, I don't look at it as trying to like fit in because I was trying to branch out. I was trying to broaden my horizons because I was like, I know one person. Yeah. And I mean, isn't that like the draw of sororities is like, you get to network, you get to, you're like automatically have like this sisterhood. So, I mean, again, that was like not my reality or my experience. But then I'm curious, did you ever consider, I know I asked this before, but did you ever consider any of the divine nine or the historically black sororities on campus? I did not feel like it was a place where I was going to be accepted in the state of Alabama. Based on how I was received on campus, I didn't feel like that was my place and I didn't want to step on toes and like don't get me wrong I'm not saying that like I hate when people are like oh like black people don't like me that's such a like amber rose you know thing to say that was a specific like I hate it when she said that I like made me made my blood boil but like that was a thing specific to being on the University of Alabama campus. And I know that it's it's a result of the segregation in that area, not a like a them problem. Because of the way the people on that campus treated lighter-skinned people, the darker-skinned people then in turn did not take kindly to me trying to sit at their table. Because it sounds like you like, right now in hindsight, it sounds like you're very much like not taking it personally. But at the time, I imagine like it's a little bit harder. Was that something that you recognized right away? Or was it something that you've like come to realize over time? I don't think I understood it, but I've never been angry about it. I think I've always known that it wasn't about me, but I don't think I've ever, I don't think I knew at the time what it was about if that makes sense. Uh, But I think I always knew like, they don't like hate me, (laughs) you know, like there's something about me that triggers them. But like I, for a while I couldn't figure out what it was. But now in hindsight, yes, I totally understand. And I think the fact, and I think I 
also in hindsight, I think it only made it worse when I wore white sorority letters, you know, like, I think that in hindsight, like it, it didn't help me to walk around in white sorority letters. Okay. As in like, it didn't help you how? It didn't help you like befriend more black people or it didn't help you like, okay. So it sounds like it kind of, you kind of had to choose a side, even if you weren't thinking of it like that, other people perceived it that way. Exactly. And and that's the thing about Alabama that I didn't realize until it was too late is that I ended up choosing a side when I didn't mean to. Mm. Yeah. Because, and that's the thing that I, that's kind of what I meant about like, Alabama is so different than Texas. I never was like made to choose a side here. Nobody has ever tried to like, you know, and that is what in hindsight, I wish I could like kind of take back. Like, even though like my, I had a great sorority experience and like some of my bridesmaids I met in my sorority. And I do think that it like really, it did like open my world up. But in some ways, I do think it made, it did make my life harder as well because it alienated me to half of my peers. Mm. But that doesn't happen to me here. Here in Texas, I have, you know, my choice of (laughs) who I want to befriend. When you were at the university, were you curious about the other Black sororities or you like had your sorority and you're like, nah, I'm good? What's so sad is like you so rarely even saw them. They were so like the Greek life, the like the white Greek life is so oversaturating there that they just get like washed out. You see the black fraternities. There's more of them, to be clear. There's more fraternities, period, at Alabama. There's like 32 white fraternities and like eight black fraternities. And then there's like half of the respective sororities. It's crazy. Yeah. There's so many (laughs) of the fraternities. So they just like, you see them, but like, yeah, you just like didn't really see them. So I didn't, I honestly didn't give them that much thought until homecoming came around and then, like, you know, the step contest happened. <laughs> like, honestly. And then I'd be like, oh, <laughs> I do want to do the step contest. <laughs> yeah, because can we talk about some of the differences? Like, again, I'm the outside looking in. So when I see I have white girlfriends who are in sororities or who were in sororities, I have my family members who were in, they're all either AKAs or Deltas. And it's like, to me, on the outside looking in, it looks like the differences. I just feel like with Black sororities, and maybe it's because, you know, that's my background too, is that it seems like the the connection is a little bit deeper. And I don't mean that in a way that a white sorority has a superficial connection, but I feel like the the communal, it's almost like ancestral connection in Black yeah. sororities. The legacy know. piece of it, for sure. They're okay, like, what do you mean by that? So... More vocabulary lessons for you. Uh, (laughs) A legacy means that your like mother or grandmother was in the same sorority as you. And that is like a very strong thing in the black sororities. Like if your mom was an AKA, you're going to be an AKA. You are not going to be 
a Delta. You are not going to be a Zeta Phi Beta if your mom was an AKA or if your sister was or whatever. But if your mom was a Kayo, like, screw it. You might go Kappa Delta, you know. But the black shorties, that's that's not a thing. So that's kind of, when you say ancestral, that's kind of like what you're speaking about. So yes, true. And also they're a little smaller. So them being black like the, ch- the chapters themselves okay. are smaller. So yes, you do get a little closer because you literally know everybody in your chapter, whereas you might not in a white sorority. But also what what was really cool for me about my experience in my sorority was that yes, I was the first black initiate in my chapter, but I was not the last. And then after me, the floodgates opened and there have been plenty and a ton since. I was a Delta Gamma and very proud of it. And yeah, I was the very first and then by The very next year, I think we had one or two more. And then ever since that, there it was just been multiplying every year. I definitely had to like set some boundaries my first year and do some like educating. (laughs) I was going to say, what is it like being the first? Did you feel pressure or what were some of those boundaries that you had to put up to protect yourself? I didn't feel pressure, but I did have to just be like, Hey, every time we talk about diversity, I don't need to be the one to do it. Mm. Things like that. <laughs> like, yes, the, that kind of thing. Like, I don't need to be in every photo shoot. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, like, I appreciate the fact that you want people to know that we're diverse. I'm glad you're not hiding me. That's nice. You know, I understand. I, I appreciate the effort because I, in some sororities, they would have been like, you know, get in the basement. So it's nice that at least you're like, hey, look at us. We like everybody. But maybe, you know, tone it down. So then when new girls come in, do you automatically, when new girls come in and you said like after you, like the floodgates kind of open, do you feel, maybe pressure isn't the right word, but is it like an automatic, like, here, let me help you. Let me show you. Let's talk about it. No. In fact, I made I made kind of an effort to be available without being pushy because I didn't want them to think that I was like immediately like, hey, you know, but I will say like in the entire Greek system, the like white half of the Greek system, there were kind of like this inner sorority of the black girls in all of the different chapters while I was there. Most of us had K names. <laughs> All of us mixed in black girls, we all had K names. And there was this one girl who was like a year or two beneath me and her name is Kiana. (laughs) And and when I turned 21, she messaged me and she was like, hey, can I have your fake ID? (laughs) I was like, sure. I love that. (laughs) Yeah. That's juice right there. Exactly. So, you know, it wasn't like, I I think a lot of people from the outside think that it was probably like very isolating. And I'm like, I'm sure it seems that way, but it was more just scary than it was isolating. It was like taking, you know, a leap of faith in some ways. And, and it was, like I said, isolating to the black community in a way, because I did have, I, I was choosing a side in a way in unknowingly choosing a side because I was in the deep South in a backwards part of the country. And 
It kind of sounds like you had to, though. Like, did you have a choice to not choose? In a way, I guess I didn't, you know? I guess the only, like, way to not was to have not gone there. But I don't know that I would have been happier somewhere else. You know, I, I had a great college experience and I learned, I think, to be honest, I think that's how I learned to find my kind of identity as a mixed person because, like I said, I didn't grow up with my dad. And, like, I, I think that it made it forced me to learn a lot about my identity as a mixed person and as a black person. And that's where I first heard the like one drop rule. I had never heard that before. I had never heard that before. You know, like I, I, and those kinds of things, like I was confronted with a lot of black history. I had never heard before and things like that. I think, and Quite frankly, even though, like I said, like, you know, lots of microaggressions where I grew up in Texas, like I grew up in one of those, I don't even know how to describe the place I'm from. (laughs) It's like very cookie cutter white suburbia, very like white liberal suburbia. So it's like, I was so sheltered. I was so sheltered and so othered and sheltered at the same time, which like just creates this like confusion. And so I think like going to Alabama actually like taught me so much about my identity. So I don't regret it at all. And, you know, like sometimes I think the black community there confused my sheltered confusion for like self-hatred. Wait, what do you mean by that? I think I understand, but I'm not sure. I I often got like labeled as like, oh, like it's sad that you hate yourself because I would like, because they thought that I like chose my white side, you know? And I was always like so confused by that. But then again, now that I like look back, I see why they thought that. But I'm so glad that now I have had to learn about the plight of Southern Black people. And I'm like proud of that history and like my connection to it, you know. I know there's differences between like overt racism and the microaggressions. I can't say like anything is preferred, but for me personally, there is a bit of when people are just openly racist because I come from a small conservative town, like I said my family roots are in Alabama. I almost found a bit of comfort in that there was rules and I understood them, even if I didn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Whereas as I've gotten older and been in places where it's a little bit more mixy and there's a bit more of a gray area, and I'm someone who fits in that gray area, I realized that it made me uncomfortable to be there because it's like I didn't know how to act or what to do. And it forced me to have, kind of like you said, it challenged me to figure out for myself, how I identify mm-hmm. without anybody like placing that on me. Mm-hmm. Am I understanding that that's kind of how you felt about Alabama? Yes. Yes. Not exactly. that you're grateful for the racism, but you can just see. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that black people gave me such a hard time <laughs> in a way because I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that I was shown how different they have it there. 
how segregated it is. I'm, I'm grateful that I was shown that they uh, are outcasts, mm-hmm. that they are not considered like part of the main population. It seems like it showed you just a different Black experience than one that you would have ever experienced yourself. Yes. Do you feel like it gave you a bit more empathy or compassion? Yeah. And like, I I think I thought, like I said, it all goes back to like what I said at the very beginning that I thought that my experience in Texas was the Southern Black experience. That it's like, oh, like, yes, we're like, you know, kind of treated a little bit different, but we're still like included. They're completely just like kind of tossed aside there. Mm -hmm. They're like seen as lesser than we're, we're treated here as maybe like less preferred. We get treated worse, but they get, they get dismissed. They get, I mean, they get systemically like I just, I don't need, I don't know. I can't even find the words. They're just. No, I um, know it's hard. It's definitely difficult. One of the things about this podcast that it's always so interesting that comes up is like a lot of times we don't have the language for these yeah. things because it's so emotional, but it's also like, it just kind of unfathomable sometimes. And it's like, it and actually it's abstract. exists. It's yes. Yeah. Abstract is a great way to put it. It's just interesting me hearing you say these things. My own experience of Alabama is like, I only know being with my black family in Alabama Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know being around white people in Alabama. (laughs) So it's like, when you say they, I'm like, that's me. But when I look at us together in this video screen, right? Like, you and I look more closer to each other than I do my family when I go down south. So it's like, I can't imagine what that would be like being kind of on the outside. Because I guess I've always been in (laughs) Yeah. That black community. I can't, I can't imagine what it would be like to not almost to the point where like when I see white people in the South, it's like, they're the other. Yeah. I just, uh, so for example, one time I was, I was working out at the gym by myself and I was wearing a tank top that had my sorority on it and I had my headphones in and these two guys were like, Hey, and like motioning at me to take my headphones out. I take my headphones out and they're like pointing at my shirt and they're like, are you in that? And I was like, yeah. And they go, well, you're black. And I was like, yeah, uh, yeah. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I'm half black. (laughs) And then they go, and then I just kind of, and then they like didn't say anything. So then I turned around and walked away and then they yelled at me, you're a racist bitch. To you? Yes. And then again, the black with white stripes, white with black stripes person was a black person. Oh, wait, that's the plot twist I wasn't expecting. I automatically (laughs) assumed he was white. Whoa. Right. I I just like didn't know. I don't know. I I had never like caught so much like heat from the black community before. And I just was so like stunned. I had always kind of like sought comfort from the black community before. And all of a sudden in Alabama, I was like, Oh, (laughs) I was like, I don't know what it is, but you know, and then now again, looking back, I'm like, I get that. Like to them, I chose the wrong side. I chose the wrong team. I am the enemy. Did you know any other mixed people while you were there? I knew one other mixed girl who was like super white passing. And did who she... was also in a sorority. 
a white okay. sorority. Okay. So you're seeing these sororities and homecoming is about and you see the girlies step and the men are out there and they're stomping the yard. Yes. It's a whole vibe. You're not doing that, but you're seeing it. The whole thing that made me even want to do this episode is I'm seeing the girlies on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And are you? have you seen these videos? <laughs> of course. Okay. I'm seeing the girls on TikTok, all the young girls. And it's all, on my TikTok anyway, I don't know why, it's all white sororities. It's like a sea of blue eyes. They're dancing (laughs) to black music. Uh They are doing what I, I'm going to say black moves, because if there's a way that people can move, I think, yes, it can. They're doing black moves. They learned that from a black TikToker, as far as I'm concerned. But there's no black people in the the (laughs) crowd. And I'm just confused. <laughs> like, it's giving very much when, like, the Toros versus the Clovers, right? And the Toros, yeah. like, took the Clovers thing. Yeah. And there was a TikTok where the girl was like, everyone's talking about how cute that these sororities are doing this, but no one's talking about this actually started with Black Greek life. And we're not really, like, paying them their respect. So I'm curious what your take is on the, you know, the kids doing this nowadays. <laughs> So what's funny is it kind of goes back to something that we did when I was in a sorority. So during homecoming and something called Greek week, we would compete with dancing and I did it because I grew up dancing. So wait, it's like a battle. Mm hmm. Okay. So we would with the boys too. (laughs) Not for homecoming, but for Greek week, we'd have to like, we'd be paired with a fraternity and we'd have to like do a dance. So I've done it before. And so it's, it's like a longstanding tradition of sororities to dance battles. So there is a history to it. So it makes sense that it has traveled over to TikTok. So there's, and also my PR knowledge is weaving into this too. So there's a couple things at play here. Unfortunately, here's the thing. What should be happening is they should be crediting the Black artists who are coming up with these dance moves at the very least. Like in the captions, they should be like dance credit and tag the person. At the like, the least mm-hmm. they could do mm-hmm. is be like, here's where we freaking found this dance, <laughs> you know? But in the, in the age of TikTok, like the only way to go viral is to do something that's already been done. For some reason, which sucks and I don't like it. I wish that original content like was still cool. And that because that's what we used to do. Like we used to have to choreograph and we'd have to like start months ahead. and Like, you know, practice in the basement and that sort of thing. And now it's like everybody's doing the same dance and posting it and whatever. And it's kind of boring to watch the same dance 30 times. But I mean, it's uh, unfortunately like what they have to do to freaking get views and get the girls they want, which is, I think, kind of sad for them that this is, you know, it's the age they're living in, but they need to, they need to give the girlies credit. They like give the black artists their credit or give the like black sorority the credit or whoever it is. But 
I blame I blame TikTok <laughs> for its algorithm ultimately because I'm tired of the recycled content. Yes, I'm not mad at that. I get that a thousand percent. There's just this part of me though that as I look at it, I'm like, is this is what we mean, right? When like black culture becomes pop, but black culture is pop culture becomes like mainstream, and then all of a sudden it's no longer like credited to black people, or we just like forget where it comes from. So you are, I don't know if it's self-proclaimed, but I'm going to say self-proclaimed <laughs> pop culture junkie. Yes. Yes. And when did your like love of pop culture kind of become evident to you? Because I do think that black culture is pop culture. Yeah. Is that a fair statement always. to me? Yeah, for sure. And I think literally forever. I've been obsessed with like magazines and everything since I was like, tiny since I could read. Do you ever feel like, again, this is me just kind of thinking out loud, but do you feel like your lived experience as a biracial woman, as a Black person, kind of gives you a leg up on spotting these pop culture trends? Yes. Oh, for sure. Like this, like Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift thing. I'm glad you brought it up. Because he's like dated all these black girls and now he's with the white girl and he's whining and dining her after cheating on all these black girls. I'm like, seen it, done it, lived it, of course. I'm a Swifty, don't get me wrong, but I'm like, girl, you better watch out because we've been new. So you have a podcast called The Spin Cycle, which I love. I love the title. It's the only dirty laundry (laughs) that I ever want to be involved with because (laughs) adulting is overrated. (laughs) Thank you. I know that you are a Swifty. I know that you have a podcast about Taylor Swift. Did you see that coming? So, okay. I had heard the rumblings and I didn't know where I stood on it, but I did actually get a tip on Saturday about her showing up at the game on Sunday. One of my followers told me that her cousin like works high up with the chiefs and that they were getting security clearance for Taylor to attend on Sunday. So I did hear that it was going to happen. And I had heard that they were like talking. So, yeah, I, but I didn't exactly know how I felt about it because I'm like, he's just so different from her usual type, but I do think that's a good thing in general, (laughs) but, but she also seems different from his usual type or no. Yes, because he likes black girls, (laughs) but we all know the type of white dude who likes black girls, quote unquote, likes black girls, but kind of treats them badly and then kind of whines and dines the cookie cutter white girl. Yeah. Like it's almost like this thing where it's like, I was just having fun and like now I'm ready to like be serious or be for real. Yeah. And it's almost like the, like, this is the girl my mom's going to like, so I'm going to be nice to her. Mm, Yes. Okay. Wait. So can I ask you about a few more just like pop culture types of things? Sure. So Bryn Whitfield, The Real Housewives of New York. Are you watching it? Yes. So I'm not a Real Housewives girly. I'm really not like a pop culture girly. I think maybe I'm just now starting to get into it because it's really kind of fun. I think I judged it it before. And now I'm like, oh, I seem so silly, but also it's very relevant. And when you dig deeper, it's like, this is actually how, what's going on in the world. Yeah. There's a lot of ties to relevant things. Yes. So I got into Real Housewives of New York because I saw the video of Bryn Whitfield talking about her hair. 
Mm-hmm. and talking about how she was raised. So, mm-hmm. okay, what is your take on this season of Real Housewives of New York? So I have mixed feelings on it. I, th- I think it's like light and fu- It's like a little bit too warm and fuzzy for me. Because <laughs> like usually Real Housewives of New York is like the most off the rails one and it's like the least off the rails one. So I'm like, I'm slightly bored. I do really like Bren. I really like Jenna. But I think like everybody's... This Aaron girl has got to go, though. I like, I can't deal with the way that she talks to people, even though she's a New Yorker. I know that mm-hmm. the New Yorkers, like the way they speak to people is like a little bit crazy to me <laughs> as a Texan by way of Alabama, like, or, a, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I'm like, I don't know. As a Southerner, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> when those New York and New Jersey girls get going, I'm like, ah, it like hurts my ears. But I mean, other than Aaron, it's all just a little, it's a little soft for me. So to be honest, I'm a little bored. I don't like have, I don't have too much to say about it. I feel like that's maybe why I like it because I'm not when they're like, when it's, when they start doing too much, I'm like, okay, girl, we get it. There's cameras there. This season, I feel like they kind of are like looking for things to be mad at each other about, which I'm like, oh, that's cute. Okay. I think it's cute. I'm like, I like the middle stuff. I don't like the dark stuff. I don't like the trivial stuff. I like the stuff that's like real friend fights. That's not like huge betrayals or like major marital problems. I like when it's like, okay, loved season two of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City because it's like, like Meredith's son is clearly gay. And he, and she's like, why would you, why would you call my son gay? (laughs) She's like, well, he's okay. I got to get into (laughs) it. And he like now is out as gay, which is why I'm saying this because obviously if he like really wasn't gay or like, you know, whatever. You know what though? That That makes me think like, I'm glad you prefaced it or like, you know, had that disclaimer, but that kind of makes me think just like going back to our conversation about like sororities and fraternities in Greek life, like there's a difference between being included and being invited. And it sounds like, you know, you found your place, even though you said like, you didn't necessarily feel like, like you belonged, you had to like set some boundaries, but like you definitely found your place. And I just wonder like what the future of that looks like for Greek organizations as we kind of like evolve as a society. Like what will it look like to have, you know, like trans femme people be a part of sororities or like what's the first non-binary house look like? Like, I don't, does that exist? Is that, are we even talking about that yet? I think that like at this point, you just like try, you just rush whatever you identify as. Like that has already started to happen even at Alabama. Okay, yeah, which is incredible, especially in a place of Alabama where it feels like people identify you before you identify yourself. Yeah. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, uh, honestly, they're kind of like they're like further along, I feel, in that space than they are in the race space. Maybe that's my ob- observation, but maybe that's my not my observation to make. I don't know. They had who I believe is a non-binary person rushed the sororities and did not make a house, but partially because they were a junior and it's hard to rush as a junior anyway. Like usually it's underclassmen, like freshmen. Yeah. Okay. It's like the older you get, the harder it is to make a house. So like even as a sophomore, it's a little harder. 
Well, that feels a little bit like ageism. <laughs> well, it's partially because it's like they want you to be in it as long as possible. Because the longer you're in it, the more you, the longer you can make connections, blah, blah, blah. There's reasoning behind it. But this person didn't make a house, but then they like, they came to like some of our date parties that kind of like still was like kind of like involved. They weren't like, you know, ostracized or anything was still around. How do you feel about Doja Cat and her demons? You know, I'm fine with it. So one of my friends who's a writer recently wrote a byline on how a lot of Black artists utilize demon imagery, partially because of the like demonization of Black people in media. Mm. And I found that interesting, but also disclaimer, I'm not religious, so I don't like have any issue with demon imagery at all. I do find it to be honestly like a little corny (laughs) just because because it is done so much and like horror core seems to be kind of like everywhere, I feel. And I feel like she's like more creative than that, maybe, but... I don't have a problem with it. It's fine. I like I like the what I've heard from the new album. I'm I'm going to Doja Cat in next month, so I'm I'm doing the Holy Trinity. I saw Taylor Swift. I saw Beyonce, and I'm seeing Doja Cat. So I'm doing the the mixed girl Trinity. I love that. <laughs> now, not to make you like choose sides again, but <laughs> as far as the shows, because you've been to both of them. It- Oh, I've God. never, I'm not a Swifty. I've never been to a Taylor Swift show. I'm, I have to be honest, Taylor Swift, I feel like is, I don't know how, like how I feel about her in general, like as I've, you know, grown up, but so I've never like considered myself necessarily a Swifty, but so many people have been talking about her show and like, it's such an amazing show that it really, I got a sense of FOMO that I was like, yeah. wait, because I don't think I can like picture I'm like, does she dance? Does she, I mean, she does. I She's learned. Yes. Okay. Which (laughs) I love that. I love that. Listen, we can all learn. I just, Mm -hmm. I picture like Taylor Swift is one of those artists. She's kind of like Drake to me where I'm always like, oh my gosh, they're so cheesy and like whatever. But I know every single song, like a song comes on. I know it word for word. And so it's like, do you actually not like them? Are you sure? That's so funny because I I feel that way about Drake too. (laughs) Yes. It's like, I think he's so corny, but then his songs come on and I'm like, I know every word. It's like, girl, calm down. (laughs) <laughs> but I kind of feel that way about Taylor Swift too. So you've been yeah. to Taylor Swift and Beyonce if you had to choose. Oh, it's really hard because they're so different because Taylor's show was a concert. It really was like, she was mm. like, I was like screaming the words the whole time and like jumping up and down. But Beyonce, I was like still and silent. Cause I was like observing her. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes. Does that make sense? Because I was like, I like Taylor. I was like part of it. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I was like screaming every word. I like lost my voice and I was like drenched in sweat, but I was like sitting for half of Beyonce because I was like, I I must not miss a beat that she sings. Like, you know, it's like so hard to compare the two because they were such different experiences because I was like, I want to see Beyonce dance. I want like, you know, I want to hear every note that she hits, but I wanted to like party with Taylor. I love that you got both of those experiences and that they're like, you like are holding them equally. 
Yeah, I really can't choose because it was like, it was so incredibly different <laughs> because I was like, also just fed different parts of me. I feel like I, like I grew up performing and my, both my, my first and last solo were both Beyonce songs. And so I really like identify with Beyonce as a performer, but I'm also a writer. So I identify with Taylor from a writing perspective. So I just like, both like I, I, feel them. <laughs> like I feel like so like emotionally close to both of them for like two different complete reasons. So they're just like everything to me, both of them. <laughs> Do you feel like pop culture wise, like that your pop culture news is kind of separated into black and white? Like, Ooh. I say this because, okay. Just, I don't even know. Interesting question. <laughs> like my black friends are, when I think about podcasts, like, right. Like my black friends are tuning into like Carisha, please. My white friends are talking about caller daddy. That's funny. To me though, I, I, I see both audiences, but it's like, and they're talking, sometimes they're talking about like similar things. Yeah. Very different demographics. I don't think that mine's separated, but I think that my, what I deliver and what I intake is more well-rounded. I think that like what I give my audience is a more like 360 view as opposed to like, whereas I do think that some like white creators like just leave out the black news. But I think, I think black creators do a better job of giving a wider view you know what I mean? So, yeah. but I think that sometimes white creators like forget, <laughs> forget, you know, to include other cultures, but I uh, just kind of naturally do that because I get my news from a million different places and different sources. And so just naturally, I think I just provide a wider lens, but I also like, I provide like gay news too, because I'm like obsessed with like drag queens and like RuPaul's Drag Race and that kind of stuff. So I like include that stuff too. So, okay. Then I kind of have a question about that as well, because just coming full circle, when I was watching, you know, listening to Renaissance and it seems like black culture is pop culture, but black queer culture, like black and brown queer culture is always where it started. And now it's become mainstream, you know, and Beyonce was very much a part of that. You know, we have shows like Pose and all of these shows. Yes. When I think about society, I think about it almost as like an apple or like this thing with the core. And it seems like everything is like created on the fringes, like on the outskirts. And then it just keeps coming towards the center. And by the time it's in the middle, it's just kind of digested by everyone and then it's just it's just there and it's it's disappeared and we've consumed it and now we're like back out to the fringes again when you think about pop culture and just like the news that you're sharing and the things that you're sharing that's what I guess I meant about you kind of like being there first because you exist in in some of those some of those demographics in some of those categories where it's like you are on the fringe do you feel like being mixed then helps you with your career? Yeah. Yeah. I think like, honestly, I think being mixed is an advantage in a lot of ways. Like it's, 
it's a blessing and a curse, like in every way, I think it, it gives me so much perspective in my career in the media, in my real career that I get paid to do and my podcasting. You know, I, I think that there's a lot of times where I'm able to, you know, translate in a way, if that makes sense, especially when it comes to even like sometimes when I'm like working with talent, you know, like, cause I, I service a corporation and sometimes that corporation partners with rappers or athletes, you know? And so it's, it's nice to like, and <laughs> it's nice to speak multiple languages, you know, For like sure. it's nice to be able to code switch and also have like a link to several cultures. And yeah, I think that it's, also to have the pop culture insight as well. I think that, yeah. And being able to also understand what like crucial issues are facing all these different demographics is supremely helpful in PR as well. I'd like to thank Kiara for joining me today sharing her story and opening up about her experience in sorority life. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in and listening to Mixed With What. If you have a topic you want to talk about, a story you feel needs to be heard, or a conversation that sparks new ideas, don't be shy about sharing. Join the community on Instagram at Mixed With What Podcast. And don't forget to leave a review, like, subscribe, and share this episode with your community. As always, I encourage you to continue to ask the tough questions, have the hard conversations, and always listen with love. Until next time, Unmixed with What.